from working on a guest ranch to a career in marketing to the release of a debut novel, Brett Camo joins me on the show today, and we are talking all about the power to pivot. It is okay to fail. It is okay to try. That is the central theme of today's episode, and that you need to do what makes you happy. Are you ready? It is time to pivot. Welcome to the Power to Pivot podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miles, founder of March 4th Media Company, and this is the podcast where we share inspiring stories, resources, tips, and fun ideas to help you pivot to new ideas, new goals, and new dreams for your life. I'm so excited and honored to have you join me on the journey, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Power to Pivot podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miles, founder of March 4th Media Company, and this is the podcast where we share inspiring stories, resources, tips, and fun ideas to help you pivot to new ideas, new goals, and new dreams for your life. I'm so excited and honored to have you join me on the journey, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me for today's episode of the Power to Pivot podcast. Today we are talking with Brett Camo. He is the author of the upcoming novel, Nameless vs. the Army of the Dead, which is coming out in January 2024. Brett, how are you? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. So, debut novel. Mm -hmm. How excited are you right now? Uh, it's it's been off the charts. I'm so excited. It's two years of learning and working to get to this point. So I'm super pumped that we're about at the finish line. That's amazing. Like you're at the point now where you're going, you're either going, yes, let's just do this and publish it. Or you're like, wait, do we, am I actually doing this? Which yeah. like, it sounds like you're in the camp of like, heck yeah, I'm ready. Let's rock and roll. It, well, it's good that I can fake that because I have a little <laughs> bit of both. So, <laughs> all right, tell us uh, about that. Like, where where are your where are your mixed feelings coming from? Well, it, it's funny because this is um, I worked in marketing for a number of years where I wrote marketing copy and I never put my name to anything. It was just a job. This is the first thing that my name is going to be attached to. So, it's it's a bit of a uh, a little bit scared, but I'm I'm like, you know what? We're going to fake it till we make it. We're going to be excited and, and hopefully the jitters will fade with time. So that's what I'm hoping for. Oh, yeah. Like you, I mean, having worked in a marketing background, obviously you have a creative bug in you. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's a plus. Um, but I would imagine that it is, I don't want to say easy, but at that point you, when you're in marketing, you do have a very specific narrative to tell under the guise of whatever the client wants. <laughs> so yeah. And it's a, it's a different feeling to be kind of a hired gun when you work in marketing, because, you know, you could be one day selling the, the, uh, the benefits of product X, Y, Z, and the next day you have to write about another product. So you have to talk about how bad product X, Y, Z is, and you have to do it with conviction. So it's definitely a different mindset. Ooh. Oh yeah. Um, so was this your first sort of pivot after marketing? 
Uh, oh, this was this was probably my fifth pivot after marketing. If All I'm right. being honest with you, tell um, us about that. Well, I, I always like to make the joke that if my 20s and 30s had a log line, it would be like, wow, that did not work at all. So all through my 20s and 30s, I tried a bunch of different jobs. Uh, marketing was in that mix. And then, you know, I was uh, I worked as a youth counselor. I was a bouncer at a bar. I was a cowboy, if you can believe that, for about a year. Oh, my um, gosh. I was, yeah, I was a professional poker player. And then I kind of, none of it really worked. I mean, I was good at some of it, bad at some of it, but it, they were jobs. But then my sister got me really into like filmmaking and storytelling. And that was my most recent pivot. But apparently to make a movie is very expensive. So if you want to, if you want to tell a story and you want an unlimited budget, the book is the way to go. What was it about being in those jobs? Like, what and what were the moments like when you realized they were not for you? Um, you know, it was funny. I through my 20s and 30s, I tried a lot of stuff, but nothing really spoke to me. And and you know this for I'm sure in your life, being successful at anything takes a ton of work. I don't care if it's podcasting, being an author, or running your own business where you build garbage cans. Whatever you want to do to be successful at it takes a ton of work, which requires a ton of passion. And I never really had a, a big passion for any of the jobs I did. They were just jobs and, you know, they paid the bills and, and they were fine. But each, each kind of pivot had its pivotal moment. Like when I was working on a guest ranch in Wyoming, I was working one morning and I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just, I'm over it. And my, a friend of mine owned the business and he said, look, he goes, you know, we need you. And I said, I'm just not here anymore. And he said, okay, I respect that. And, and I moved and I moved on. So I think it's, it's when you're, when you just suddenly decide, I don't want to be here anymore. And a different part of your brain doesn't respond and say, no, this is what you were born to do. Get back to work. I think that's when you realize you've got to pivot to something else. Yeah. I think it's important to remember that it's okay to do that. I think it's easy for us to just kind of get stuck in the, well, no, I have to pay the bills and what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And I've been doing this for so long and no, you can try and, and see, I was a person who, when I was in high school, thought I was going to do one thing. And then I got to college and thought I was going to do something else and then tried to pivot in college and, um, ended up not pivoting at that point, but came back to that same thing years later, like, because I was one that wasn't getting the fulfillment out of it much to mm -hmm. what you said after a certain period of time those things just did not speak to me anymore and we spend so much time at our jobs that often more time than we spend with our families um mm -hmm. it really should be something that we are passionate about and enjoy and can get fulfillment out of um i also appreciate the fact that you mentioned being successful takes work um, I think it's really easy, especially in the social media time that we live in, where it seems like everything's just an instant overnight success. And it's often the case where that's not happening and we don't hear those backstories. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I've, the number of times I've gone on just YouTube scrolling, um, I've seen, oh, you know, I made a million dollars overnight. I'm like, well, congratulations, but that's not that's the the exception, not the rule. 
I I think it's a lot of grind. Like, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm doing this podcast with you. I'll probably be up till two in the morning working on the book and then have to go to work tomorrow. That's just the dues you have to pay to be successful at anything, I think. Yep. It's not there. Like you said, there can be those exceptions where it isn't overnight. It went viral, you know, the right person clicked and then a million other people saw it. And that's great. But Mm -hmm. in terms of sustainability to that success, you really do have to keep chipping away at it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I was taking a class one time on filmmaking and they brought in a producer and he had produced some movies. He did, uh, I think the, the whole nine yards and he was giving a speech about it. And he said, what made him laugh is somebody said, oh, he was an overnight success. And he said, really? Because I've been working at this for 20 years. No one just knew my, no one knew my name. And so that, that always stuck with me. You know, it's, it's not the invisible work that you see for five years. It's the one day that makes somebody famous, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I always found that interesting. Yeah, that is, it's, it's kind of an interesting take. Like you don't, you, and you never know, which is mm-hmm. so why it's so important to remember that it's okay to the moment you realize you're not getting that enjoyment and fulfillment move on because that mm-hmm. next opportunity could be the time when somebody realizes your name and you are getting yeah. the fulfillment and that's your moment. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also, also okay to fail. Like, I mean, I, we live in a culture now where everyone thinks they're, everyone says, Oh, I've been successful at everything. And I'll be the first to admit, I failed at a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. Every, I've, everything I've tried up until now I've failed at. So, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, I took another hit and I'll just learn from it and move forward. But I, so many people I talk to, they, they don't want to admit when they failed. It's like, it's okay to admit that you fail at something or you're not good at it. Put it aside and try something new. You know, I, the, the for me like the only thing that worse than not realizing or being a failure is not realizing you're never going to succeed at something and pivoting to what you want to do or something new i think yeah. that's there's a lot of power in that absolutely and so something that i have shared before and i will say it again to reframe that failure it's not mm-hmm. failure it's data you know mm-hmm. what didn't work so pivot to something that might or will but that's a great, that's a great way to say it. Yeah. It's just data. Um, and it's to our benefit to know when something's not in our best interest, it doesn't give us passion and joy. Um, we're not good at it. Um, and, and I think it also lends itself to the conversation of, is it a skill that can be developed or something that is, and do I want to, I guess, develop that skill? Or Mm -hmm. are we talking about something that's just an intrinsic part of somebody's nature that we really can't train? Um, Right. But, and those are different conversations, but ultimately it's not a bad thing. I agree. I think it's never a bad thing when you, as you said, gather data, which I I love that. I'll probably steal that from you. Please do. Uh, um, (laughs) When you can look and say, okay, I, I think what happens is a lot of people get their ego wrapped up in success. Like I know, I knew a man that worked on wall street and he made a lot of money. And he said the day he quit, he just realized he didn't want to be there anymore. He didn't like any of his coworkers. He didn't like the, you know, hundred hour weeks. He said, I like the money, but he goes, but everyone got their ego wrapped in. And what was your bonus? What was this? How much money did you make? And he said, 
He goes, Brett, at a certain point, I had more money than I needed. And I was like, I don't want to be here anymore. It's just not fun. And that mm. was the day he quit and he did something else. Good for him. Because mm -hmm. we, you know, there's a certain energy that that like ego mindset brings in. And it's mm -hmm. kind of heavy and dense and like very hard to sit in for eight hours when you're trying to do your work and do it well. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes it, it's not fun anymore. No. And I mean, I, you know, I, I don't want to come across that everything has to be fun. I'm sure you, there are days when you do your podcast when you're like, I don't want to do this. I just oh. don't want to, but it's that passion that drives you to say, come on, time to get up, time to put on our, our big boy pants and go back to work. And there's a power that comes from that. I think. Yep. The, when the message becomes bigger than, you know, the extra 15 minutes on the snooze button, mm -hmm. you're mm -hmm. on to something. Exactly. So tell us about the book. Okay. Love to. Um, so the, the kind of the elevator pitch, cause I come from marketing is it's basically if Harry Potter was a horror movie and that's the, the premise of this story. So it's a, about a small city set in the 1800s, Geneva, they're under attack by hooded figures and everyone is forced at a certain age to go defend the city. And our main character has just come of age. So he has to help defend the city against these darklings. And it's about how he develops a friendship and finds his place in the city. And they learn that there's a bigger plot involved. And I don't want to give too much away, but that's the premise of the story. Okay. Now, is this um, young adult, adult? What kind of fiction are we working with here? It's a uh, young adult, young adult. Um, you know, when I started writing it, I thought it was going to be for an older audience, but as I started working through it, the the characters are all on the younger side, you know, 15, 16. So that lends itself much more to an audience that's young adult. So that's where the story ended up. Got it. And how did you come up with the concept for the book? I've I've always been a huge fan of sidekick characters. I don't know what that says about me personally, but when I was a kid, my friends and I would read Batman and Robin comics. I always was more interested in Robin than Batman. So when I was kind of coming up with ideas, I, I decided I wanted a story where the main hero was the sidekick and the sidekick was the main hero. So I was playing with concepts and I said, okay, well, that's kind of hard to do because the main character has to evolve. So instead, I decided to do a character where the main character looks like he should be the sidekick and the sidekick looks like he should be the main character. So that was the starting point of this. And then I just needed a villain. And these this these hooded figures were part of that story. What do you think makes a good villain? I love this question I, and I ask it a lot, but what for you makes a good villain? I think it comes down to if you honestly believe in, if your character honestly believes in what they're doing. So the best villains I've known throughout storytelling have never been villains. I think Voldemort is an example of this from, I'll, pu I'll pull from Harry Potter again, because he honestly believed in what he was doing. And that is a, he's a selfish character, but he honestly believes what he's doing is right. I think your best characters always, your best villains always believe in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And when they don't, when they're there for selfish means it's, it's okay, but you don't see them, them from a human point of view, which I think is important. So that, and they have to be smarter and stronger than your hero, I think is the other <laughs> part of that as well. Yeah, that can certainly help. I'm sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm curious. 
about the sidekicks. Mm-hmm. What do you think drew you to them as opposed to Batman? See, I, I don't know. I was always curious about this. I think it's because I was always a big fan of learning and the sidekick, especially I'll use Robin as the example, especially Robin, his, his path was always a path of learning. So I don't know if you know Batman at all, but one of the, one of the Robins eventually becomes his own hero and Nightwing. And that's the natural evolution that I really enjoyed going from student to a master on his own. And I think that's what drew me to the, the sidekick characters over the years. That's interesting. I kind of wonder how that links to your writing too. You know, you said this is a two-year journey. Mm-hmm. Um, how, as you were developing this character, how did you evolve in your learning? You know, I think confidence is what came out of it because I had an idea that I was in love with and I thought this would make a really cool book. And then I met a lot of people through Facebook and and different things that became mentors to me and they would help me with, you know, my idea and help me develop it. And uh, one of my mentors, he, he made a great comment. He said, don't worry about anyone stealing your idea because it's too much work for them to do it right. And they have their own brilliant idea that they're in love with. So don't worry about it, which I was, I took to heart. So when I was meeting mentors and, and getting to know them, I felt my confidence growing And I think kind of the day I realized I was ready to take my own hero's journey, if you will, to become a hero of my my own story, my own writing, is when one of my mentors said, you know what, this doesn't work, you should try it like this. And I said, you know what, I think I like better my way. And Mm -hmm. that was kind of my completing my journey where I said, you might be right, but this is the story I want to tell. That's awesome. Like you Mm -hmm. could finally feel like you were in a place where you could legitimately stand up with with some guts behind it going, I like my way. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's not an easy thing to do, especially when you're talking to somebody whose opinion you respect, you know, and, and they've published books on their own and they've, they've been successful at it. And to look and say, you know what, you're, you might be right. You very well might be right, but I can't be happy with my book. If I give in to your opinion, when I believe my opinion's better. And or is the right opinion at that point. So that was that was a huge part of this journey for me. And, you know, now and I I think you have to keep going back. So I'm in the middle of outlining the second book in the series and I'm right back at square one, but in a better place with my mentor and I are talking about it. And he's like, have you thought about this? I said, yeah, that actually is a better idea. Let me let me steal that from you. So it kind of comes full circle, I think. I think it's important because you're you have found a point where you can trust your voice and mm-hmm. not sway your story. It, I think that brings even more integrity to the, the characters and the writing because you are willing to commit to to telling the story full out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. I think I think anyone who has a unique voice, I think they have to trust that voice. And if it turns out it's not unique, well, you start again, you know, and you go back and you start another series or you start a new book and you keep, if this is what you were born to be, failure isn't really a failure so much as, as you said, gathering data. And I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah, there's always more to tell. Like you, like you said, you can tell another story, um, start over. And is this, this is um, self-published? Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. So that's the beauty part about self-publishing too. You can put out another edition when you, if, if, and when that time comes that you need to make adjustments. Yeah. And I think also you have going, we were talking about earlier, you have more control over it as well. Um, I have a, I have a acquaintance. He, he published through a publisher and he said there were a lot of notes that he really disagreed with, but at the end they had to find a common ground. And it took, he said it took a number of years to get it published. I prefer the model where I ultimately have the responsibility of deciding what's right. And I have to live and die by those consequences of those, of my choices. And I can publish when I'm ready. And I think there's a lot of, there's a, there's a bonus to that. There's a pro to that, to every con, you know? Mm. I had a friend as well. Um, she was writing, it was a nonfiction book um, with a co-author and they were trying mm -hmm. to go the route of traditional for publishing and they ended up working with a literary agent. Um, by the time that literary agent was ready to actually submit something, that book was no longer, didn't look anything like what they started Ugh. with. And, yeah. and I think about that, like you lost all creative control because you want, you trusted, and it's a decision, right? Like Mm -hmm. You have to go with what's right for you. Um, and everybody makes the choice based on where they're at in, at the time. But it also, when I look at it and I think about it, it's also crushing in a way when they had this beautiful idea that somebody else went, nope, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. didn't trust that voice. And, and sometimes you can't get that back. I mean, I think it's, that's the, that's the tough part of it. You, it, you lost it and you, you might be able to get an er, earlier draft back, but you never quite find the, the voice that your book had, even in nonfiction. I'm sure that's, that's part of a problem. Yeah. I feel like by the time you've gone through all those steps, you've put so much time and effort and energy and the changes. It's like, I almost like knocks the wind out of your sails. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Huh. And it, it was funny. One of the reasons, one of the other reasons I decided to self publish is I was, my wife and I were discussing, I said, I'm 48, nine years old. I don't have time to spend the next four years sending query letters to agents just to have them reject me. I'm like, you know what? I can self-publish and if the book takes off, then who knows what the next book in the series will do. So that's, that was the one that made me laugh. I was like, I, I can get it out there and let the market decide if it's good or not. Do you feel like your marketing background has helped you get the word out or do you think oh, absolutely. that it's challenged you? No, I, I think it's it's helped me quite a bit. And I think it become it's because of I know a lot of authors that I think could be incredibly successful if they didn't have a lack of interest in marketing. I, I've met several authors who are like, you just put it out there and let the world decide. I'm like, that's not how this works. You have to have to have a budget, you have to have a plan, you have to be prepared, and then you have to execute that plan. So for me, I knew from day one I was going to have to invest in my marketing. So that's what I've been doing since the original idea. I started researching. I've been reading, you know, I've read a dozen books a month on marketing and then marketing on Amazon specifically because it's a new system. And I, I think if you have a love of marketing or you can fake a love of marketing, you can go a lot further than if you don't. Are there resources that helped you the most when you were calling out, you know, the books that you've read as you were doing the research? Were there places you went that you found to be the most helpful? Uh, yeah, there was a lot of Facebook groups that would kind of lead me down rabbit holes 
Um, so I had an opportunity to uh, work with uh, my publicist, uh, Michael Evans. He's done a great job connecting me with a lot of people. Uh, I've done some reading. There's a oh, there's an author. I forget his name. His book is called Amazon Decoded, and it's it's all about the the um, visibility side of marketing on Amazon, which is if you get the book high enough for a long enough period of time, Amazon will take over. And it was really interesting. And it's a different mindset to have going in. So Amazon, yeah, I think that's, it's a huge shift. You have to realize you're not posting this book in a bookstore, like mm -hmm. Amazon's a search engine. How do you now take this? You know, I'm not walking up and down the aisles and perusing the shelves of Barnes and Noble on Amazon. It's a different mm -hmm. customer. It's a different way of selling your work. Um, yeah. And you really have absolutely. to get it right because <laughs> it's a yeah. big marketplace. And, oh, absolutely. And for this book, I decided to go with Kindle Unlimited. And I've, I've, heard, I've read the pros and cons, but what ultimately made me make the decision was I just didn't have any bandwidth left in my head because I had learned, spent two years you know, learning formatting and editing and and writing and and this and that and social media. I was like, you know what? Let me just put this one on Kindle Unlimited. That way, I don't have to worry about the fifteen other book sites that are out there. Maybe the next book will go wide. But this one, I was like, I don't have anything left in the tank. So let me focus on one and get that right. And that's I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, there's so many different avenues to go down. Platforms, um, just getting the one and focusing on the one, like you're putting all your eggs in this one basket so you can refine and, mm -hmm. and get feedback. And once this bucket is up and running, like, okay, maybe then you decide you want to branch out into another, but I think it takes some of the pressure off. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, I was starting to learn about, you know, aggregators that put it out to all the other sites. I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I just, I don't have it in me anymore. I just don't, I, I wouldn't do it well. And I would be shallow across a lot of platforms instead of deep into one, which is where your best chance of success is. So I decided to take this one to Kindle Unlimited, focus on that. And then, you know, in the next book or the next series, I may reevaluate as I, my skill set develops. So I, I think, I think that's the power of self-publishing is there are no wrong answers. There's just what do you feel is going to work best for you? And then, and again, it goes back to what I said earlier, the number of times in my life, I said, wow, that did not work. And, you know, you just got to be okay to say that and start again, I think. Yeah. Where can people find the book? It's going to be on um, Kindle Unlimited on okay. January 15th. Okay. It'll be available on Amazon. And if you want to join my audience list and get kind of, some sneak peeks behind the curtain and, you know, my musings on everything from characters to storytelling in general, to my view on cheeseburgers, everything in under the sun, <laughs> uh, they can join my audience list. They'll also get a free copy of my uh, prequel to this series. I'm not going to tell you the title because it'll kind of spoil the ending of the first book. So, but if you, if you're like, you know what, I want to, I want to learn what this guy can write or not. You can go to the nameless and you can join our audience list there. That's awesome. We'll make sure that all of this is in the show notes. Um, Great. And where can people reach out to you um, on social media? Uh, they can join my Facebook group. It's a uh, storyteller, Brett Camo 
is my Facebook page. That's the best place to reach me. I'm on there pretty much every day. Um, I'm trying to get on Twitter or X, I guess they call it now, but so far I haven't gotten any followers. So I'm kind of just playing with that a little, but Facebook is probably the best place to reach me. Awesome. I want to go back real quick to the marketing side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really, really easy to forget that piece, um, because you are spending so much time writing and editing and refining and working on the craft of the book. And, but, but at the end of the day, if you want to do this as a career and make money at it and sell your work, like you have to understand you're, you're a business now. Um, mm -hmm. so for all those out there that are looking and afraid of that big word marketing, um, are there hints that you can give about their marketing plan? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing you need to have is a mindset shift. And, and this was a big one for me because you're going to put so much work and so much passion and so much love into your book that when it's finished and you look and you say, and done, that's the final edit. That's the final thing. It's all ready. It feels like you've crossed the finish line. Like you should be rewarded for finishing a marathon and now you have to start another marathon. So that's, that's going to be a bit of a mindset, mindset, mindset shift for people going into the next phase of marketing. I think the the next thing you need to think about is what do you enjoy doing? So I am putting little videos of character scenes up on TikTok. I've been messing around with YouTube a little bit. I'm reaching out to podcasts. Figure out what you can do well day in and day out and what you enjoy doing. And that's gonna be the basis for your marketing. I love that. Because again, I feel like it it takes it down into a, a manageable chunk. Mm -hmm. Because when we talk about marketing, and especially when we think about social media and the algorithm, whether it be Google or Facebook or whatever, um, it's scary. Like it can mm -hmm. get very overwhelming. But I do like the fact that you are saying, no, 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 let's let's just take a chunk of yeah that and and mm -hmm. put it in a way that you're going to be happy doing that work to, to yeah. market your book i mean i think you need to be at least set up for everywhere so even though i don't do much on um twitter x whatever you, whatever you call it now i still have my handle there i still have my my page there my profile there i just don't pursue it much Facebook is the main one because I can write long form. If I feel like dropping a quick video, I do that. Um, I know another author who's obsessed with TikTok and she's great on it and she sells a lot of books through TikTok, but I can't do these seven second clips of me talking. It's just not who I am as a person. I, I'd much rather have a longer conversation. So I think if you can find what you're good at and what you enjoy doing, that'll help your marketing immensely. I think you're halfway there already. And I think, as we've said, like, if it doesn't work out, you can always change. I will say, though, you want to give yourself time mm -hmm. in the medium that you choose before you decide it wasn't the right format. I agree. I agree. And I, I think that's true of everything. You got to give it a real try instead of saying, okay, this is hard. I'm going to quit. Um, I think for marketing, you'll start to get a, you'll, at first you'll feel like you're screaming into the void, but then 
you start to get a little bit of traction. If you quit, then that's all you're going to get. But if you just keep on and keep on and keep on and say, well, I enjoy doing these Facebook posts or I enjoy doing these, you know, short TikTok videos, you just keep working at it. You'll be, you'll find your audience because you have a voice that's passionate and there's that attracts people, I think. Yeah. That consistency, your audience can now start to trust you because you're putting out the content regularly. Um, mm -hmm. It's a consistent format. It's a consistent voice that they're getting. Um, they know sort of what to expect. So it makes it easier for your audience to get comfortable. Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. I agree. Well, Brett, I'm so excited for you. <laughs> Thank January you. I'm 15th, so excited. It comes out nameless versus the army of the dead. Uh, like I said, we'll get all the links in the show notes. Um, Perfect. And then you said the free copy of the prequel is at mm -hmm. the nameless saga.com. Yep. We'll yep. make sure that gets and posted too. Only download that if you don't mind spoiling the ending of this book, but that's okay. I think you'll enjoy it both ways. <laughs> and how many, like how many components to the book or to the series do you think there'll be? Is this going to be a trilogy? Um, right now, it's either going to be five or six books. I'm 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 playing with the uh, another idea that I know how the book is. The next four books in the series, or three or four in the the series, are going to go, and I know how the ending is going to be. There's one book in the middle. I'm unsure. And I really like the idea, but it hasn't hooked me yet. So it's either going to be five or six. All right. Well, please come back and let us know as things unravel for the next book. Um, we'll be happy to post it out and share it. And love to very excited to see where the series takes you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Brett. Guys, make sure you check out Nameless vs. the Army of the Dead. And we will see everyone on the next episode. Take care, guys. Hey guys, it's Liz here from March 4th Media Company. And the biggest lesson that I have ever learned is that at any given moment, you can always choose again. And trust me, I learned this lesson the hard way. And I'm inviting you in to join me in my book, This Is Where You Pivot, The Shift From Fear to Freedom, as I'm sharing with you how I arrived at this lesson. I'm opening up about my life, overcoming a toxic and abusive marriage, navigating years of career, health, and family issues that kept me feeling so stuck, lost, and alone, sharing stories through my own trauma that kept me paralyzed in fear for so long. And most importantly, I'm going to show you how I found a way out. You too can find the strength within you to overcome any obstacle in your life. So head on over to amazon.com or find it on thisiswhereyoupivot.com today and order your copy of This Is Where You Pivot, The Shift From Fear to Freedom. Remember, you are never stuck, you are never lost, and you are never alone. At any given moment, you can use your power to pivot, make a new choice, and start again. At any given moment, you have the power to choose a new path for your life. We hope these interviews inspire you to recognize your own personal power within. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miles, founder of March 4th Media Company, and I want you to remember that you are never stuck, you are never lost, and you are never, ever alone. At any given moment, you can use your power to pivot, make a new choice, and start again. 
And I so look forward to seeing you on the next episode where we share more inspiring stories of those who have made the choice to pivot in their own lives.